When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tradies and builders, power your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. It's Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball with the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SCNZ. You're on SCNZ. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run back for 2023. Of course, a World Cup year and back again for the Rugby Run, uh, taking the inside line. As always, uh, Justin Marshall. G'day, Marshy. How are you? G'day, Ricardo, and uh, hello to everybody. I guess it's a little bit too far into the year to be wishing everyone a happy new year, but uh, happy new year anyway. And uh, it's great to be back on the rugby run. Uh, and what an exciting year, Ricardo. Oh, my goodness. Um, culminating in, in, a, in a Rugby World Cup in France. Um, Back finally to an exciting format for Super Rugby after two years of COVID interruptions. Uh, yeah, a lot to look forward to. Um, Six Nations at the moment is compelling watching. So it's already started off uh, absolutely outstanding this, so far this season, and it looks like it's only going to get better. Yeah, I'll tell you what, um, all of a sudden Scotland look like a, a possible real threat of this Rugby World Cup, don't they? If that, if that were a Rugby World thought? Cup draw wasn't what lopsided as it was, it's getting worse. Doesn't it set up a really interesting game now down in Marseille, opening weekend of the Rugby World Cup, where uh, South Africa take on Scotland? Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, their, their performances have only got, uh, got better since they played the All Blacks in November, where they pushed the All Blacks uh, really hard in, the, in that particular game. I think there's no uh, doubt about the fact that the, the reintroduction and the, the fact that uh, Finn Russell and Gregor Townsend have managed to find common ground. Uh, but him orchestrating that Scotland attack with some firepower, some good Lucy's and quite an adequate uh, front, um, front five, uh, their performance levels have just gone up and up and up from week to week. How good was it seeing them knock England over for the... <laughs> For the third time in the Calcutta Cup, man, that did make me smile, I must admit. <laughs> yeah, you're not the only one, mate, not the only one. I don't quite like seeing the Poms get beaten at Twickenham, is there? Uh, absolutely, and, and I certainly feel that when, when you look at the uh, performances of uh, particularly France and Ireland, um, looking very, very good, what a cracking game that was in Dublin last weekend. Uh, Wales are the ones that seem to be really struggling at the moment, not only on the field, but off the field as it's very evident, as everyone knows, they're, they're struggling with, uh, you know, salary problems with the players unhappy. Uh, and certainly I feel that uh, Warren Gatton probably couldn't have walked, walked into a bigger minefield, to be perfectly honest. Like, uh, he was seen as being the great messiah coming back and looking to turn things around. But really, he's just walked into uh, an abs- absolute uh, kerfuffle of problems on the field, problems off the field. And... Uh, a reflection of that is the way they're playing as well. So they're probably the team that have gone backwards. Italy are showing real tenaciousness like they have been doing in the last couple of years. So they're looking a lot better side and, and capable. Um, so, yeah, it uh, certainly is 
ominous signs coming out of the UK that a lot of these sides have quite clearly got better than where they've been um, at the last World Cup. Yeah, I think uh, from memory, this is the first ever first ever Rugby World Cup where we go into the Rugby World Cup uh, with the top two nations in the world being out of the six nations, right? And, you know, that that puts a whole different spin on things uh, when, when you look at it that way. And once again, it, it does, the, you know, maybe uh, World Rugby might need to look at when they do the seedings, when they do the seedings for a Rugby World Cup, because at the moment, England, I think, are, seed, uh, are uh, uh, sixth in the world, yet they're the number one seed on the other side of the draw. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that obviously that the Rugby uh, World Cup um, is uh, basically the draw being done so far out, uh, it, it certainly does create that disparity when you have sides that are quite clearly um, improving um, but not quite reached their peak. And then because of the seedings and the way that, that it works in terms of world rankings, um, it can be a bit mumble-jumble. So, you know, you certainly feel that I look at what I think, Ricardo, is when I look at this World Cup in its entirety, what it does provide the All Blacks with is a genuine chance to come and ambush the tournament. Like, usually they'll go in super hot favourites, uh, no doubt about the fact that they will be the team to be to, to, to beat and be watched. I don't feel that they'll go into this tournament regardless of what happens in the Rugby Championship this year in that vein. I think they will go in probably around about where they're ranked at the moment uh, and you know, having France in that first up game and like you say, then the draw the way that it is, you know, there are clear pathways to that final and the All Blacks have got a, a golden opportunity to, to really go in there and, and sneak in under the radar and do some real damage and, um, you know, get a good pathway to that final. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, that would be that would be ideal, but man, it's uh, it's looking like it's going to be a hard road, right? It's going to be a hard road and uh, I'd be interested to think, uh, get what you think about what you've seen of Steve Borthwick's England so far, because I talked to Chris Foy, the lead writer for the Daily Mail on rugby, um, Martin Gillingham as well, one of the top rugby commentators out of the UK. Neither of them, before the appointment was made, thought it was the right appointment. They both said it's a step backwards for British rugby. He'd be okay as a for, or for English rugby. He'd be okay as a Fords coach, but we need to go offshore for a coach because he is very staid and very tried and true. We're not going to you're not going to reinvent the wheel. And I guess if you're not if you don't have the best type five in the world, you can't just play that no frills rugby and expect to win all the time. Yeah, well, I, I played with Steve Borthwick at Saracens, uh, so I'm very well aware of. His, his method in terms of the way he thinks about the game. You know, he was a senior player at Saracens at that time. Um, currently, he was still currently playing for England. Uh, and, and he is a heavy thinker of the game. Um, but in that way, he's also got um, really strong viewpoints on method. And, and that method is the way that he played the game as well. He knew what he was good at. Um, and he just made sure that he, each week that he played, he hit those targets. Uh, you wouldn't see anything unpredictable come out of his repertoire as a player. So, you know, when I saw him standing one off the ruck and he was ready to charge onto the ball, he would charge onto the ball. He would do it as an endeavour. He would line a couple of defenders up and he would smash into them. But there was absolutely no way he was going to pass it because that wasn't in his DNA. Mm. Um, so, you know, obviously uh, he, he went from there on into coaching. Um, he had a little bit of a stint with England and then he went to Leicester. They were going along swimmingly and then they started to have some hiccups. And, you know, you just wonder whether or not those hiccups come because 
the method is so predictable and so the players eventually get just a little bit not for want of a better word bored uh, and 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 don't have the ability to go outside and uh, outside of the boundaries of what the coach is um, instructing them to do and, and play instinctively and and that's probably one thing that I've seen with England since um, he, he's taken over is you know the way Scotland played against them they were quite ambitious you know they broke out of their own half quite a few times uh, England you, you pretty much knew what was coming and the, and the where the areas they're going to attack and they just kept banging away look that's great but uh, eventually teams will work you out so yeah look I, I I couldn't comment enough because like I said I only played with Borthers um, these are some of the things that I heard uh, in terms of uh, the discussions that were going around in November when I was over in the UK amongst like you said your uh, leading rugby writers or people within the game they were murmuring the same thing mm. whether or not it was the right time for him just out from a World Cup and with the fact that he has to really change the way England are playing. So it's going to be interesting to see how he can continue to mould that team throughout the rest of the Six Nations and then um, on to the to the Rugby World Cup because they've got some challenges in front of them. Yeah, they do. Uh, it's, it probably leads quite nicely into this chat because uh, one of the blokes that was uh, highly touted to be uh, in the uh, crosshairs of the English uh, Rugby Union was Scott Robertson. Um, obviously, and uh, you know, still up in the air his future around the All Black coaching job. But I do see that uh, there's a story that's doing the rounds that Fiji have offered him the coaching job through to the Rugby World Cup. Um, I don't know. He, I, apparently, he's asked New Zealand Rugby for permission to do this post Super Rugby. Um, but I think that this was quite funny. Tavita Tuola, who's the chief executive of Fiji Rugby, said, "I know he's a surfer." So I told him, look, you can come to Cloud Break in uh, Tavarua and come and surf some clouds, some barrels, some big waves there and come and coach the Flying Fijians and we'll give you that for free and you can help our boys reach the quarterfinals. (laughs) Shall we all put our hands up for that? (laughs) Sounds all right, doesn't it? You know, sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I can Um, run water. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Look, uh, there's no doubt about the fact that I think it's very evident through what you hear when Razor speaks, whether it's in the media or you speak to him personally, the, the, the progression he wants to take with his coaching is to coach internationally. I, I think he's been banging that drum now for a good couple of years. And he's, he's been um, basically uh, touted with England, with France, uh, Australia most recently, and now Fiji. I think the messaging there is the fact that at the moment he's not jumped anywhere and and you would suggest that's because he's hanging on for the big job here but you know obviously there's been a a lot of unsettling time that that have gone um, with discussions with the New Zealand Rugby Union um, in in that last calendar year that probably would have unsettled him a bit Mm. Uh, but I do know uh, unequivocally that what he wants to do is coach internationally you know he's done club rugby where he's successful with Sumner he has progressed on to uh, NPC where he's been successful with Canterbury and won titles. We all know his record with the Crusaders. So that that's the next natural step is, is into that international uh, window. And I, 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 look, he's, he's young, but he's ambitious. And, and he wants to get there now rather than sit on his hands. And he could quite comfortably sit there and coach that Crusaders team for another couple of years. Look, let's face it, he's got an an impeccable record, um, but he's too driven. So 
look, I would suggest rumours like that probably uh, have quite a, an element of truth to them, and it's a good way for him to cut his teeth to a degree. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the New Zealand Rugby Union think, but at the moment they're, they're zipping up, aren't they? And I can mm. see why. You know, they've got to respect what Ian Foster's trying to do here and and protect the players and the coach from all those external um, rumours and conversations that they simply can't control till the end of 2023. Yeah, I guess it's a tough one for them. Um, everybody's expecting them to make a call before the World Cup so we don't end up in the same situation where all your all your options are off the table because you've waited till the end of the end of the World Cup to to make a change, right? So they need to make a change before that. It's how they make that change and when they when they make the the decision. Um, for me, looking at it, I go, surely there's a no brainer. Let him go, coach Fiji. He gets World Cup experience before having to go to a World Cup with the All Blacks. But they might think, let's name it after the Super Rugby competition, and then he goes into the fold to learn the ropes in camp and becomes part of the coaching setup into the World Cup. I don't know what you think. Yeah, they won't allow that, I don't think. Um, look, I, I don't entirely see whether or not he sees completely eye-to-eye with uh, some of the coaching methods at the moment um, and whether or not he's in synergy with that entire coaching group. I think that would be more disruptive than productive. So I, I think that the basically the conversations have to be whether or not they are going to allow him to cut his teeth elsewhere. Uh, it, there's no doubt that you can learn Look, look at our um, current uh, coaching uh, groups over the last, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 years. You've had guys like Wayne Smith who coached abroad, um, Steve Hansen who coached abroad, um, and and they, they learned a lot from being away and then coming back and coaching the All Blacks. Uh, certainly, you get a viewpoint on, on how different teams approach playing against the All Blacks. Uh, so that gives you really good knowledge as well. You know, like imagine being in a coaching setup where you're planning to beat them and how you go about planning to beat them. You know, to tap into that knowledge and then go on to coach the All Blacks, you kind of get a mindset of what other international teams are thinking. So um, it's a niggly one. They'll be worried that he really enjoys himself. And then they say, I'll tell you what, not only will you get, we'll give you cloud break, we'll send you off to Bali every every month as well. You can go surf there if you take the head coaching job up. <laughs> <laughs> so um, and we'll give it to you for four years. So they'll be a bit nervous that he, he likes too much um, what he doesn't know, if that doesn't make sense. Mm. And what I mean by that is what he doesn't know is what it's going to be like coaching a team apart from the All Blacks. But he does know that having coached the Barbarians, which he coached successfully to beating the second-tier best set of players we've got here in New Zealand. So, yeah, he seems to have already cut his teeth a little bit in that regard. He does indeed. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run here on SENZ. Back for another season. Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall with you. When we come back, uh, we are going to take a bit of a deep dive into the Super Rugby squads out in New Zealand for 2023 uh, with the editor of Rugby News, Campbell Burns. It's 20 past one here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall with you. And joining us now from Rugby News magazine, it is Campbell Burns, the editor. G'day, Campbell. How are you, mate? Very good afternoon to you, gents. Mate, uh, great magazine, got to say. Uh, the uh, preview Thanks, issue, uh, I it landed in my letterbox uh, probably about uh, four or five days ago. I've uh, been busy with my oh. highlighter, highlighting things. Um, <laughs> I don't know if any of it makes sense, but we'll, we'll, we're about to find out, mate. Uh, no, fantastic job. Uh, great detailed preview of, the, of all the squads uh, from a New Zealand point of view. Um, I think we should... Let's do it alphabetically, shall we? Let's start with the Blues. Um, and... Looking at this team and who they've lost, 
I don't know about you, uh, Campbell, uh, Marshy, but it feels like they're a bit light in the engine room again. Uh, they've lost Josh Goodhue. They've lost Luke Romano. They've lost Carl uh, Tui Inukuafi. Uh, they've brought in Patrick Tupolotu back from Japan, but their locks are Tom Robinson, who me is a, uh, for me is a six, Tane Plumtree, who for me is a six, and then uh, Patrick Tupolotu, Sam Darry, and James Tucker. Feels like might be a bit light in the engine room, Marshy. Yeah, look, there's no doubt that they built a good foundation last year, Ricardo, around that type five. And you'd have to say a guy like Luke Romano was instrumental in the fact that he, he got a, a bit more edge out of that type five, um, you know, just with his experience and the way he played the game. Think about that game. They they beat the Crusaders on their home patch and Romano just had that grit and that look in his eye uh, on the day. So when you, when you lose that, that leadership, you know, uh, Patrick Tuipilotu um, has captained the Blues before, but he's a different style of player in the way that he plays the game and gets others to follow. So he, I think Romano's a huge loss. Um, there's no doubt about the fact that, you know, when you when you think about the the rest of the play, the the rest of the guys that they've got coming into that type five, like the Sam Darries, but they are progressive. They're a work in progress, you know, and, and equally. I think Campbell, when you when you break it down and think about Tom Robinson, where he's best suited, you've got to scratch your head and think, well, maybe that's not at lock; it's in the loose forward. So, how do we fill that hole? Yeah, yeah, that's right, Marshy. Look, I, I mean, I was a bit surprised. I did speak to Leon McDonald last month, and I said, well, where's Tom Robinson going to fit? Because all things being equal, you've got a loose forward trio of Hoskins, so Tutu, uh, Dalton Papali, and um, Akira Iwani. So. Tom Robinson, who's been uh, great for the Blues at six, but can play lock, we know. Um, Leon sort of indicated he was he is going to be fronting more at lock, um, which did surprise me to a certain extent. But when you consider they've also lost uh, Josh Goodhue as well, who was a good performer for them. They probably want a bit more experience in there um, beside Tui Pelotu. I think Robinson can still do a good job at lock. Uh, whether he's most effective remains to be seen. Uh, James Tucker's a good player. Tane Plumtree's apparently training the house down is he more of a six lock? Uh, they've got a lot of versatility there, and I think they've got about seven players who can play lock and probably seven who can play blindside. So they do have options, but it is a question of whether is that the, the best mix because we know Tui Pelotu will not be subject to all-back stand-down, so he could play potentially all the games um, there. And, you know, Robinson, he's gone close to the all-backs as a six lock uh, and, and got injured at the wrong time. So it'll be interesting to see... You know whether he he gets through the full season and plays uh, and starts starts to dominate in that second row. Yeah, I mean that is, is it's about balance, right? And I look at the loose forwards and I think, man, the loose forwards look great. You know, Hoskins, Satutu, Akira, Yuani. You've mentioned um, those guys. Uh, you've also got Dalton Papali'i there. Adrian Choate, Anton Segner is an option. Uh, they've brought in Rob Rush from Northland as well, and Cameron Suafire from North Harbour. So the loose forwards look really, really good. I guess it's just about options because probably if you look across New Zealand rugby, these super squads, we've lost a lot of locks to Japan. Yeah, we have. Um, look, yeah, look, look, one hundred percent. And I, I did wonder whether um, McDonald uh, may have asked uh, Luke Romano to play one more season um, into his thirty seventh year. But he, he played really well for them last year. He obviously hasn't gone to Japan, but we are seeing a bit of uh, musical chairs with some of these locks. And of course, at the Chiefs, and we'll come to them soon. They've got three All Blacks locks, but they've signed Manaki Selby Rickett. So they've they've got six locks uh, on their roster, which seems uh, at least one too many. And Perhaps one, one too few loose forwards. So 
some of the mixes um, and how they um, rotate their players through this All Black stand down period is going to be interesting because there will be injuries and you know and, and, and many variables around this. But there is a lot of players out there who can play uh, lock and six. Camp, I'd like to get your thoughts on the Blues and where you feel uh, that they, they need to really fire this season to go that one step further and, and win a final. Like in my mind, and I don't want to put uh, this, this certain these certain players or positions into your mindset because I, I want you to answer where you think they need to be good. But it massively sticks out to me as the midfield. Um, you know they've got they've got some firepower there, but I don't know whether or not they got the change out of Roger last year. Um, Rico was very good, but he was a one-man band. No doubt they've got a really good back three, and Pira Feta was a real revelation at fullback. But, you know, do you see if that, that two of us are shit, Rico Ioani um, midfield combo doesn't fire, they've got the ability to still fire in the centres with the, the players that are left? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a hard one because I think... Um... It's, it's funny, all this talk about Tui Vasashek perhaps playing on the wing, and I'm thinking, well, who's then going to play 12 for the Blues? Because he played pretty well for the Blues in his first season last year at 12. They've invested all this time in him as a second five. Um, you know, I, I think he's got to play there for the Blues. The All Blacks are obviously a completely different kettle of fish, but that combination, him and Rico Iwani, um, wasn't a bad combo, and if they can get their attacking flow going, I think that's the way it will go. But there isn't that much in behind. Um, Bryce Heen's now 34, a good footballer that he is. Um, he's probably more of a centre wing. Corey Evans is still young. Uh, Taniele Talia's had his injury worries. So that's, that, that could be an Achilles heel if there's injuries there. Um, and if Rico mm-hmm. goes down there in real trouble. But Tuivasa-Shek, I think, has to be seen as a as a 12 for the Blues. Uh, because talk of him on the wing, well, where's he going to play on the wing? Uh, they've got two all-black wingers, Mark Talia and Caleb Clark. So really for this Blues team, uh, Tuivasa-Shek has to be... 12, he's got to be um, sinking in with Bowden Barrett and Ioani. I tell you, if there's one bloke in that Blues team that's uh, fired up for this season, is a guy I thought was incredibly unlucky not to get rep football last year, and that's Kurt Eklund. Yeah, look, 100%. Um, probably close to the, the best hooker in the country, probably until that final, um, where he, he certainly wasn't alone and not performing in that final. But uh, Eklund, he's probably the last three years, he's been great value for the Blues. He'll be their number one Hooker uh, with Buchanan and uh, Richie Telly in behind, but yeah, he's a guy who very unlucky to miss that All Blacks 15. He he must be in the top five hookers in the country, um, and uh, well that probably depends on where <laughs> where and how uh, Dane Coles is going. But um, Eklund played well all through that period of 15 straight Blues wins. So if he can have another good campaign under his belt, and and perhaps if he gets to the final and performs there, that will help his cause, but he's a very good footballer, quite dynamic. He's not huge, but um, just carries hard um, and just gives gives 100 every time, and I think he's pretty accurate at his, his set-piece uh, area as well. It's probably, it is a very good segue, I guess, for us to transition into the Chiefs. Campbell, um, Samasoni Dokiaho last season was an absolute, absolute sensation, not only for the Chiefs, but equally for the All Blacks. When you look at that Type five that the Chiefs are going to throw out. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Josh Lord, um, hopefully getting back to where he was prior to his injury. Uh, Retallick's in there. Um, they've got a very good engine room. You would imagine that Clayton McMillan um, will really rely on that. Uh, not only 
from set piece, but they look really mobile around the park too. What, what have you made of the Chiefs squad and where their strengths and weaknesses may lie? Oh, it's a very good uh, Chiefs squad. Um, very capable of making the semis again, I think, at least. Um, that four-pack is strong. I do have question marks on the loose forwards, whether they've chosen enough Lucy's, because uh, that's a position of high um, attrition. Um, they've only got six Lucy's. Uh, normally, you'd run with seven, but they've gone for an extra lock. Um, so how, if they're all fit, how do you fit them all in? Um, you know, where does Naitoa Akoi go? Where does Tupo Vai go? Um, we know Brody will be there for some of it. Um, and then in, in the props, though, um, you know, you've got Atu Molly coming back. He's been injured for so long, but we know when he's on form, he's a, he's a strong performer. Um, John Ryan's come in from Ireland to shore up the scrummaging and replace of Angus Tauval. Um I, I'm not sure what he's like with his mobility, but the Chiefs will be playing their run and gun game, so... I'm sure he's been working on that fitness. Um, and the least said prop, you've got Aidan Ross, who was a very good performer for them last year, made the All Blacks, Ollie, Ross in behind, uh, Ollie Norris uh, sorry, in behind, and Taukiaho at hooker. So no problems really um, with what they've got um, in the forward pack. And their main signing in the, in the backs, uh, and he could be the, the difference maker, is Damien McKenzie. And I think he's going to um, suit up at, at 15. Uh, if, you, if you look at Bryn Gatlin and Josh Iwani, perhaps as the starting 10. Mm, it's an interesting one, that isn't it? That, that, that Damien McKenzie's been named at fifteen, given uh, that we know that Bowden Barrett and uh, Richie Moanga are both doing one after after the World Cup, and uh, people are looking at Damien McKenzie and thinking, is he going to be the answer for twenty twenty four? But we seem to be losing a lot of uh, a lot of talent offshore at, at a younger age. I mean, the fact that Caleb Trask has gone to Japan now. Um, at, at this time is interesting for me as well because I thought, you know, he had a, a very good season last year and uh, would have been interesting to see him, you know, this year uh, develop further and then maybe be in a position to be an outside chance as, as an all-black first five, Justin. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the exodus is only going to get worse um, as the year progresses because of, you know, the, the culminate, culmination of players, the age that they are, and then equally a Rugby World Cup where there tends to be a lot of profile and, and players sort of look to set themselves up probably for that sort of twilight part of their career. So the concerning part of it is exactly what you, you, you alluded to, Ricardo, is that, you know, those players you kind of expect that they will announce mm. in a World Cup year that they'll be moving on. Uh, gradually that'll come out. But when young players are leaving our shores, like when you think of Caleb Trust, you know, you equally think about the fact that we're not likely to probably, well, definitely not having Richie Moonga, uh Bowden Barrett's not getting any younger. He'll be sort of mid-30s uh, come the end of Rugby World Cup going into next year. You know, who's our next All Black first five? Um, you know, you'd think some of these younger players would be wanting to stay in New Zealand and, and show uh, their, their prowess to step into that void. So it is a bit of a worry, but I guess that's just the way that the game um, is tra transpiring at the moment. Uh, but... Yeah, really, some really big years, um, some big players. I'm not quite sure, Campbell, you might know more than me about the state of, uh, of Quintupaya. Um, I think a, a massive season for him. Obviously, uh, he was making great, great inroads and, until he had that unfortunate incident um, in Melbourne. And, you know, there, there is still a lot of conjecture about that 12 jersey for the All Blacks. So it could be a big season for him to really make a statement. Yeah, look, I haven't heard the latest on his fitness. Um... I couldn't imagine he'll be involved until about April, May at best. But uh, I, mm. I haven't heard the latest reports out of the Chiefs. But I do, uh, if you remove him from the equation, say, for next weekend in Christchurch for the opener, 
You look at Alex Nankerville at 12, Anton Leonard-Brown at 13. You've got Ramaka Poyhippi uh, coming off a very good NPC who can play 12 there as well. Gideon Rampling's in behind. But Tupaya, um, you know, it's, it's a funny thing. I, I, I always thought he was a centre a few years ago, and then he moved into 12, very direct, played pretty well for the All Blacks. Um, but that, that number 12 position is now very congested given they decided to move a, a, a fullback uh, into the number 12. And Geordie Barrett, and he's, uh, he's taken, taken up the cudgels there. So, you know, there's a lot of competition for him, and he may just run out of runway to make a big impression uh, for the Chiefs uh, late and then to get into the All Blacks for July. Well, that's another one, isn't it? Alex Dankerville, 26, going off to Ireland um, at the end of the Super Rugby season. And uh, probably last Super Rugby season was the form uh, midfield back, I think, throughout the season. So uh, that's another one who could be a bit of a miss going come Rugby World Cup time. Uh, let's have a look at the Canes. Then you brought them up. Uh, the fact that, um, you know, it's been, it's been said that Geordie Barrett is going to be playing 12, can fill in at fullback. Um, if that's what they see. Uh, they've got Aidan Morgan, Brett Cameron there as first five. Also, Ruben Love. I mean, what is it with all our, uh, you know, the next tier of first fives? Um, Stephen Petafetta, Damien McKenzie, Ruben Love, they're all listed as as fullbacks, Justin. Yeah, no, isn't it ironic that they are very good at their craft in, in the 10 jersey, but somehow have to find themselves slotting in at fullback to try and fit the dynamic of the team. Uh, you know, you, you know, Ricardo, having spent a year putting up with me, that I'm an, an absolute advocate for players playing their best position mm. and, and being in the jersey where they, they, they best perform. And, and if they can't make that jersey, uh, the, the rest of the team shouldn't suffer and a player shouldn't be out of position simply because they're trying to find a spot for a guy that can't command that start. So... I'm very much an advocate for that. I almost went, woohoo when you said uh, Geordie Barrett was going to be starting at 12 um, and then possibly play fullback when he's needed because I think you also are aware, having the conversations we had last year, uh, that I was very much uh, a, 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 an advocate of him playing 12. I think it's just a perfect position for him. I think he narrows our width at fullback. Um, he, he just plays fullback like he wants to carry as a 12. So putting him in that jersey just made sense to me. And I'm glad that he found some real momentum in it. What were your thoughts around um, his positional switch and his input at 12, Campbell? Oh, yeah, look, it was um, it was, it was great that he, he made the switch and performed so well for the All Blacks. And he played enough there for the Hurricanes to suggest um, that he can do that at Super Rugby. I mean, he's played in virtually every position except halfback for the... The Hurricanes, he's probably been consistently their best back since he debuted six years ago. Um, and interestingly, the Hurricanes named him in their squad as, as an outside back, but they're going to be definitely playing him in the midfield. Um, and mm. uh, what that will mean for the uh, for the dynamics of the other selection, so Ruben Love, who wants to play 10 and is a very good all-round footballer, I think will be looking at, he'll be looking at 15 for him. Um, and he's a player who probably needs to improve his goal-kicking, one or two other aspects to really play well at 10. He, he can, of course, play 10 for the Hurricanes, but I think he'll play 15. Uh, Josh Morby uh, is another option there. Uh, had a great season last year, nine tries, um, but can play on the wing as well. Aidan Morgan, I think, is probably the best pure 10 at the Hurricanes at the moment, and if he can get his goal-kicking sorted. But bear in mind, Geordie will take most of the kicks off the tee, so that may not be an issue. So I think Morgan would be your favoured 10. Geordie Barrett at 12. Love at 15. And uh, you can build the rest of the players like Julian Savia and Celestia Riasi um, around that. 
That's a fair. That's a fair point. They actually lost a lot of experience looking at this uh, Kane squad in terms of the outs. Lenny Appasai, Alex Fidal, Blake Gibson, Wes Hurson, uh, Ben May, Scott Scraft, and have, have have all moved on. Uh, Justin and TJ Perinara is pretty much done for the season already because of that Achilles uh, at the end of last season. He probably won't play much. Um, they are very much down on experience. This Kane set team. Yeah, they are. Um, I believe TJ is making very good progress, though. So he's ahead of where he should be. Um, I've been through that, been through that myself. And uh, if you're smart and you're motivated and you treat the injury with respect, but also push it a little bit, you can get back a lot quicker than uh, you know uh, what the expectation levels are for an Achilles, which is around that six-month period, um, if not longer. So. It's good to hear that he is progressing well. Uh, he will leave uh, a hole, though, until he does come back, if he comes back, because I think we all know that the, the biggest problem that the Hurricanes have is they have a stack full of talent, um, but they tend to be a team that drifts, and, and they really need that hard-nosed player in there with all the experience. When you're named off that back line and those names, to me, Campbell, I thought to myself, OK, well, where's the leadership and all of that? You know, like Julian Savia, yes, experienced player but he's not he's not known as a leader and a, and and a, a communicator you know you, you mentioned the young players that could all slot in at fullback and first five but again they're very very green you know and that's where mm. i think that that tj perinata um was really vital for them so you you kind of then go shit how, how much responsibility and how much more is Artie, poor old Artie savia going to have to do this season because we certainly do not want that bloke tired Come uh, August this no. year. Yeah, and before we move on no, to the cru- no, well, yeah, exactly. Yes, sorry, uh, Camel. Just uh, before we move on to the Crusaders, Justin, if if you're just Jason Holland, having seen a lot of football last year, who's your starting halfback for the first game? Then Jamie Booth or Cam Roygaard? Yeah, well, look, obviously Cam Roygaard got a great opportunity uh, in November, uh, which he thoroughly deserved after an outstanding uh, campaign for Counties. And, and you've, you've got to, at some stage, put a stake in the ground and say, well, we, we've, we've got to, uh, with Fakatava obviously injured, we've got to also look at what's beyond Aaron Smith and TJ Pirinata, who are all who are both in their mid-30s. So I certainly think that that was a good step towards uh, looking at the future. Um, but you've also got to think about what I just said with, with filling a void, um, orchestrating a game plan, making sure that a talented backline and team uh, playing in the right areas of the field. And I just wonder whether or not Cam Roygaard has got that experience yet. So uh, I think I'll be starting with Booth, to be perfectly honest. He's a very good player. He's still got a threat. He's got a good running game, good passing game, but he's experienced as well. Um, and then try and get a balance from there uh, and create a competitive environment. Uh, just quickly onto the Crusaders then, and, and maybe halfbacks and other players we can start, uh, look at there because, you know, Bryn Gatlin has gone from there and so is uh, T. Toiroa Tuhuri Orangi down to the Highlanders. So you've got Mitch Drummond in there. You've got Willie Hines coming back at the age of what, 57 or something. And uh, then Noah Hoffman <laughs> uh, from Tasman, who's a, who's a youngster. Um, uh, the, it's an interesting-looking Crusaders uh, side uh, or squad, isn't it, um, Campbell? It is, and it's very strong once again. Um, you've got former All Blacks, you've got current All Blacks, and you've got future All Blacks, uh, as is often the case with the with the Crusaders. That halfback area is interesting because Mitch Drummond's just been a consistent performer for so long, and he probably was happy to see that uh, Bryn Hall had gone. He might get more starting time at nine, but then Noah <laughs> Hotham, uh, you know, hot to trot, uh, ended under 20s, 
great season for Tasman. Has come. He's got a, a superb running game. Uh, Willie Hines brings all his um, heady experience. Um, 57 caps for the Crusaders, 19 England caps, and he's uh, come off a good NPC with, with Canterbury as well. So there's all that competition right there and three halfbacks, and it's not always necessarily apparent who will definitely get that uh, starting berth. So that's another example of that competition within the Crusaders, which makes them so strong. I also feel, Campbell, that th- there's a little bit of probably, I don't know, end-of-year hangover, but big volume from last year with the likes of uh, Whitelock. Um, you know, uh, Cody Taylor had a bit of a funny old season. Um, and, you know, then there was the, the I guess, the, the sort of George Bowers sort of situation where he got an opportunity and then it sort of sort of faded a little bit. So I thought, well, where's their enthusiasm going to come from? But when you boil it down, they've got to be really pleased with the fact they're going to get Ethan Blackadder back into the mix. Uh, they got they got um, Goodhue back as well. Uh, and obviously, they're going to have massive competition for places uh, throughout, as per usual. Fionnuku, an outstanding year last year, but then he sort of drifted away uh, from All Black um, selection, didn't he? So, you know, probably some challenges ahead for Scott Robertson to keep players fresh, motivated and on the park and what is a big year. Yep, yep, look, um, 100%. It's going to be interesting with that outside back mix because of Will Jordan's out with this um, with this uh, issue he's got, um, with I think it's um, uh, vertigo or inner ear um, issues. If he's out for a few weeks, does that mean they put David Harvey back at fullback? They'll have Goodhue and yeah. Enor in the midfield. Do you move um, Shea Fihaki or Milani Nanai back to fullback? Um, you've got plenty of cover on the wings, um, so that, that won't be an issue. But, I mean, Will Jordan, who we know is a fullback for the Crusaders, uh, with him out, that just um, alters the balance slightly of what they do, uh, in, in, including in their midfield as well. So Jack Goodhue feeling his way back from, from injury. Um, very good football, we know, low error rate but a different sort of player to Harvili, who has a, more of a kicking game. So how he combines back with Braden Enor will be uh, will be interesting for them. Certainly will be, Campbell. All right, hey, listen, it is uh, 18 away from uh, two, and we need to get some ads away. So we'll do that, and we'll come back, and we'll have a look at that Highlanders team before we finish up. It's 13 away from two o'clock here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall with you. And, of course, uh, with us on the phone talking, the Super Rugby squads from Rugby News is editor Campbell Burns. And, Campbell, uh, we've got to get to the Highlanders. And, uh, for me, the really interesting part of the Highlanders squad this season is going to be the locks. Uh, you've already mentioned they lost Benaki Selby Rickett to the Chiefs, which is a big loss. Uh, party, party, Parkinson. I think it's a year that he really needs to step up with a couple of young locks in Max Hicks and Fabian Holland really pushing him. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think probably uh, Josh Dixon and Parkinson will be the starting locks uh, for next week, given Fabian Holland's got a bit of an injury and may, may be up for a few weeks. Uh, Max Hicks, uh, who can also play six, is the young comer from Tasman, did pretty well last year. Uh, he looks like a likely sort of character. Will Tucker's in behind that. Um, I, I don't have any real problems with that. Highlanders Ford pack, uh, very good loose Ford trio, solid in, uh, in the front row. So I, I think they'll command respect in the Fords and it will just be a matter of what happens outside halfback for them. Yeah, and, and that's the interesting thing is we're right outside halfback. I mean, last season, uh, you know, Mitch Hunt had, by 
his uh, standards had an absolutely train wreck of a season. Uh, Marty Banks is still going uh, somehow at whatever age he is now as well. Uh, and they didn't really have many other options. In fact, Sam Gilbert ended up playing a bit in there. Um, now this season, you've got Cam Miller, Freddie Burns out of England, Mitch Hunt and Marty Banks still there. And, and Sam Gilbert and Viliami Karoy have also been listed as 10s before. So they've gone having no 10s to having six. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy going from that... Um you know, uh, from that dearth of uh, of talent to, to all these riches, but who who plays? I mean, if Mitch Hunt is fit, is he the man? Um, I think realistically, Marty Banks was probably lucky to get a, a contract there. Much as we uh, we've loved watching him play over the years, um, Cam Miller's the young uh, a young player full of potential, uh, can goal kick as well. Freddie Burns, um, I'm you know, it's quite funny how these guys have been released in a mid season uh, over in the UK after he did well with. Uh, Leicester last year. I mean, he's, he's a good footballer, but is he going to start ahead of Mitch Hunt? Uh, that's the question. Um, I think Sam Gilbert's probably ensconced in the outside backs, and uh, Villamoni Karoy, the mercurial Villamoni Karoy, can play fullback or wing as well. So, you know, um, it's how they sort of mix in and what they do in midfield, where Thomas Umunga Jensen is just crying out for a full season with no injury. Yeah. Um, Josh Temu was one of the best centres in the NPC. Will he play 13? Um, can Jonah Lowe? reproduces NPC form at, at super level. So these are all the questions. Uh, but the Highlanders have had so many, uh, so much bad luck with injuries in their outside backs. Uh, they must be due a break for this season for new head coach um, Clark Dermody. Yeah, you'd think so. Martin uh, but, uh, uh, Bigardo, uh, the Argentinian, who's been playing in, was it in France, I think, uh, is an interesting option too. I mean, he can play fullback, play wing. I think he's even played a, a bit of centre. So they do have some more options this season. Yeah, that's right. Um, interesting that they've gone for a couple of uh, outsiders. I mean, they are, are in total to have two foreign players, and they've uh, used them both up in the backs there. Um, and then, of course, uh, someone like Connor Garden Bashup, who's had his, uh, an unbelievable run of injuries. And yet, when we see him, we see glimpses of brilliance from him. Uh, Jonah Nareki, um, long term injured, coming back. Um, and, you know, he's got real X factor. So if he can stay fit, get the ball in his hands. Maybe we'll see them um, see, see the Highlanders do something. Great news about Folau Fakataba, though, that he's um, come back much earlier than expected, uh, having shunned surgery. Um, he's rehabbing himself, and he's it's obviously great because Aaron Smith uh, would have been looking at playing really big minutes. Now yeah, we're five away from two o'clock here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Bull, Justin Nelson, oh, Justin Nelson, Justin Marshall, with you. There's uh, another Justin. Uh, I've got basketball on my mind, Marshy. Uh, and uh, in the next hour, we're going to go to Aussie and catch up uh, with them and get a take on on their teams as well, mate. Yeah, well, like I said um, at the start of the show, Ricardo, it's great that we now have. Uh, the full format restored to Super Rugby. You know, the fact that the Australian teams, the Drua, Moana Pacifica, are all now in a round-robin situation. Uh, you know, we won't have that that, that uh, bearing down of us of amalgamating two different uh, leagues. So it'll be very interesting to see how these Aussie teams shape up this year. Yeah, it will be. It will be. We'll do more of that after this on SENZ. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. It's just gone two o'clock here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall with you. And Marshy, a lot of changes uh, this season in terms of the laws of the game and basically interpretations. I think most of it's just designed on on how to how to uh, speed the game up, which uh, might have a couple of the, uh, the fat blokes uh, struggling uh, this season. What do you reckon? Bang on, Ricardo, about speeding the game up. I won't delve into the uh, the fat blokes because I'll have to bump into them every now and then at the venues and they might hear, so I'll give that a miss. But 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think it's brilliant that what what the governing body of the game is trying to do in this part of the world, and I stress that in this part of the world, uh, is speed the game up and, and get rid of a lot of the tedious uh, time wasting that happens in the game at the moment. So uh, to give you uh, listeners out there a, a bit of a picture of how they're going to go about doing that, uh, first of all, they're going to be a lot more stringent on time taken uh, around goal kicks. Um, you're going to only be allowed that 60 seconds. Um, equally, uh, scrums, scrum um, being set uh, and lineouts is, is around the 30-second mark. It's always been the case, but it's not really been policed. Uh, so now they're going to make sure that there isn't the delays. There's no huddles allowed before lineouts where teams you know, piss around in that area and then mm. sort of wander their way in. And then it's another 30 seconds before the ball goes in. Uh, we all know what uh, the scrums have been like in terms of getting set. It seems to be taking at least a minute. So they're very much wanting to try and take away uh, that, that wasted time um, in that regard. Um, what do you think about that? I think it's a good idea. It's just, it's almost when I was being told about it, I was thinking, God, what is, who does that? And I was trying to sort of scratch scratching my head thinking uh what sport is it and then i thought i know what it is it's nfl yeah when the when the uh offensive team comes on they've got a shot clock counting down to get their play in haven't they so it's not a bad thing to have maybe eventually we will with tv hopefully uh, have when a when a ball um does get knocked on and there's a scrum set there's a shot clock that comes up and if the attacking team doesn't get the ball in in time they get free kicked you know so uh, quite quite a cool innovation, um, but do you think them policing that will help uh, take away from that time wasting? Yeah, I think it's going to have to, so long as the referees are consistent with it, right? Um, and yeah. they and they use common sense as well. I mean, I, I know that uh, often you know you'll have a prop go down with a tight calf to, to to buy some time, but they can't be can't be <laughs> buying into that. We've talked about that as well. So I, I think it's a good move. I think it's a really good move actually uh, to speed the game up. And I, I guess the other thing, she was talking to Ross Carl from Sky Sport about this because he does a lot of the rugby programming there. Is uh, you know how yep. that how it might affect your job, Marshy. Um, all of a sudden, you don't have two minutes to fill. You you can you've actually got game yeah. to talk about and you're not just trying to fill where these guys muck around yeah that's right and equally you know i guess it maybe uh produces a better product for us you know well and truly what we want is we want our our viewers engaged mm. you know and we don't want them wandering away because there's a, a knock on and they know that they can come back in four minutes and probably nothing's happened you know so yeah, exactly the fact the fact that, that that now if you get up you've got to get to that beer fridge pretty quick get the top off and sit back down because 30 seconds later the, the ball's going to be coming out of the back, back of the scrum I, I think is great um just progressing on to a couple of the other most significant changes um i think this is a good innovation um nine can now go no longer go past the middle of the scrum. So they cannot go and attack the opposition nine or the number eight at the base. They have to stay at the midway point of the scrum. Um, and they're not able to go around the other side. If people think, oh, well, they can jump around the other side to midway. Now, what about, Marshy, on that? How how do you envisage that being placed? Imagine that you're, uh, you're the defensive halfback, if you like, right? And your scrum yep. is on top of the team who've got the feed, and they're pushing that yes. team back. You can no longer then go and you know go and fetch the ball off the other halfback. No, you can't. And and obviously that's where there's a lot of disruption that does happen. But equally, when you are that attacking team and you've got a bit of a vulnerable scrum, um, 
the number eight is very limited and be able to uh, do something about it if it's at his feet and they're backpedaling simply because he has to be accurate because that opposition nine is right on him. Um, and because of that, we see lots of turnovers in that area. Now the number eight can just disengage as long as he can get his hands on the ball and we can just get the game flowing rather than it being disrupted at source. It also, in my mind, and this is just thinking um, from a halfback perspective, what it does is enable that 8-9 attack to really flourish. Loose forward attack as well, bringing your 6 and your 7 into a back row move. Um, it's really hard to do when you've got a halfback sweating all over the number 8 and if the scrum slightly turns or whatever, it compromises the move because you can't go that way straight into the halfback. He'll interfere. Now he is you know, a metre and a half back. You can, regardless of how where it turns or where you're going, you can still launch your back row attack. I certainly think it opens up the game to be able to be more creative in that area. It takes a lot of pressure off and it encourages teams to use their number eights more off the back of the scrum. Uh, but also, like I said, that back row attack um, out into the back line. And the other one that, and kind of uh, this is a, not the same, but as uh, in a similar position, is the ball has to now be used within five seconds of a ruck being formed. Um, I, I, I just wonder whether or not some of these rules would have come in if uh, the South Africans were still part of Super Rugby, mate, because, I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, if they don't have yeah. half an hour to figure out where they're going to box kick, I don't know what they do. Yeah, well, that's, that, I think, you know, what you've actually uh, alluded to is probably the most uh, poignant point in, in, in that equation is the, is the amount of time that it is now taking a halfback to slowly produce players in front of him that shield him from getting charged down, at the same time then raking tediously the ball back with his foot uh, to the back back of the ruck uh, to then execute a box kick. That literally soaks up so much time. Mm. Um, now they are literally going to have to, when they're box kicking, make sure that it's off a really good uh, ruck, that the ball is available and free. Um, otherwise, yeah, you'll get penalised because you're taking too long. So I think it's a good innovation. It, it has become really, uh, I guess... Um, predictable and very obvious when a nine's going to kick and, and you can see it happening and see him fluffing around with the ball. So I think that's good. Um, but Ricardo, probably the biggest uh, law change in terms of A, speeding up the game, but maybe B, play, taking a little bit of pressure off the referees is uh, the new yellow card review. Mm. Uh, so to give, give people an idea of what that's about is uh, now, unless there is a, an act of thuggery, um, and when I use the word thuggery, um, I use it with a smile on my face. But anyway, <laughs> uh, which means like a blatant um, punch or coat hanger to the head, uh, that the referee can then just say that that is a, an absolute out and out um, breaking of the law and is an automatic red card. Anything else that falls into the possible red card um, category is going to be. Uh, there's going to be an X sign from the referee go up and there's going to be an off-field review. So all the referee will do is do his X sign, um, issue a yellow card to the offending player, who will then go and sit down. And within eight minutes, the TMO, along with an assistant, will look at footage and decide whether or not the referee needs to upgrade his yellow card to a red. Now, what that does is it stop? The referee will look at the yellow card situation a couple of times on replay. He'll go, yep, that's a clear yellow card. Um, just yellow card normal. Game carries on. Or he'll go, yes, that's a clear yellow card, possible red. 
He will put up the X sign. Um, he won't look at any more replays, so he won't look at 12 replays to try and find a red card. The TMO will be responsible for that. So what they are doing that for is to stop that referee, TMO, ARs, all standing in the middle of the field watching countless, countless, countless replays. So again, this is all to stop that period of time of five minutes where they look at trying to decide if there's a red card or not. That responsibility now will be on the TMO 90% of the time unless there's an obvious red card. Yeah, and that's uh, it's an interesting one for me because I talked about this uh, with Ross Carl during the week, uh, or last week, mm. I should say, and I said, well, does this mean the same thing? Like if a referee spots something and gives a straight red, the TMO then have eight minutes to look and to see and make sure it is a straight red and not a yellow? Yeah, there's, there's going to be, as you rightly say, a lot of ambiguity in it and possibly a little bit of com- confusion as well uh, because technically you would feel sometimes that a red card shouldn't have been issued. The referee has slightly um, not seen the right angle or has, has got his decision wrong. Can they downgrade it? No, basically is the answer to that. What, what they are saying is, we want to protect our referees uh, to a degree um, from having to look at a big screen under pressure, under the spotlight, with the crowd booing because it's taking so long, to let people with the technology right in front of them um, make that decision for them. Now, look, this is a work in progress, and I get it. You know, I there, there will still be some issues with it and some and some teething problems initially, I'd imagine. But it's a trial to see whether or not that this can effectively make things a lot clearer and they can make for better decisions um, between red and yellow. So what I'm basically saying when I say no is, mate, I would be very, very surprised if a referee in the entire Super Rugby season, because he has this facility, goes goes to his pocket and issues a red card. It would have to be a blatant mm. punch right in front of the referee or a you know, I think even those ones at the Rucks, Ricardo, where there's been a leading shoulder and it looks like contact to the around the head area, I think they'll still only yellow card that and let the TMO decide whether or not with the footage he can see if it warrants a red. I think it'll always be a yellow. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I really like these mm. changes. Um, I just hope that World Rugby gives them an opportunity at some point. Probably won't, oh. be, by, won't be this World Cup, I wouldn't imagine. Will you bet your house on it? World no. Rugby sort of falling in line with what the Southern Hemisphere think and want to speed the game up? <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance, mate. Hey, um, we should talk too. There's a, a Super Rugby tipping comp that we've got running. Uh, so we'll talk a bit about that. We'll maybe get some uh, some thoughts from you on that first round as well. And we'll, and we'll look at the Moana Pacifica side as well before we head over to Aussie. And, uh, and and catch up uh, with an Australian point of view on these things. It's all part of the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. We're doing it every Sunday from 1 till 3 right throughout the Super Rugby season. Ricardo Paul and Justin Marshall with you. It is 12 past 2. Afternoons with Staffy. Yes, welcome back in. And a very valuable listener has taken it upon himself to ring 0800 150811 as you can. Grant Elliott. We probably need to change um, the way that we structure those contracts with the way that the world of cricket is changing so that we can try and keep more people involved in international cricket so the public feel like we're getting... It is 17 past two here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall with you. Shortly we're going to cross to Australia and catch up uh, with... 
um, a mystery guest. Marshy won't, won't let me know who it is just yet. Uh, uh, so that should be a nice surprise. We'll do that around half two. But uh, Marshy, I thought we should talk about the uh, SENZ Super Rugby Tipping Comp for 2023. You can win the ultimate New Zealand sports experience for you and a mate worth two and a half grand. Um, I don't know about you, but that's probably uh, about ten bucks petrol to get down to the local uh, to the local sport uh, footy club, and then uh, uh, chuck it on the bar. Uh, what, are you, what are you doing with two and a half k? Well, yeah, I think I'd probably do all of that. Actually, um, <laughs> sounds like a good idea. Um, I tell you, I was involved in the um, tipping comp, and then I was actually doing pretty well, to be honest. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but I was ticking away quite nicely. But then. You were top I 10. I did the I think... odd Friday game with Sky. Mm. Pardon? I think you were top 10, like about yeah. halfway through the season. Yes, I was. At one stage there, I was, yeah, I was around fourth or something, or third. Uh, and But then I did the odd Friday game with Sky, and I got mixed up in doing, the obviously, the, the pre-game and everything else and didn't put in my tips in that. And I did it about two or three times, and by hell, that plummeted me down the ladder. Ooh. And then I sulked. And didn't didn't do it anymore. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I need to get um, I need to get better disciplined on Fridays to make sure I get my tips in before that first game goes off. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. I think that catches a few people out. Either eh, Friday game, after, you you know, mm, sort of you, you might finish work on a Friday, have a couple of jars with the boys at the local, and then get home. And by then, you uh, you know, say hi to the kids and the and the, and and the partner, and then you're like, oh, hang on, it's already kicked off, and I've missed my picks. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, so uh, no, I'll have to get 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 my act together this year. But uh, yeah, very well and truly worth getting involved with. I found it very competitive. There's some very knowledgeable people out there that seem to be able to pick the results quite well. And uh, obviously, having that uh, ultimate prize of being able to uh, scoop the the winnings is, is very lucrative. So, yeah, well worth getting involved in. Yeah, definitely. So just go to the SENZ page uh, and then hit win and you'll find uh, where you can log in there for that uh, Super Rugby tipping comp and that two and a half grand uh, Ultimate New Zealand sporting experience for you and a mate uh, for the winner of that. Now, Marsha, it made me think we should have a look at the opening round and see how you think things are going to go. I tell you what, it starts with a bang, doesn't it? Crusaders versus the Chiefs. If there's, if there's a team... Uh, looking at it on paper at least, that can match the Crusaders up front. It is the Chiefs. That forward pack looks pretty good. Yeah, it does. And, you know, that that is obviously uh, a real rival game now. Um, both sides tasting uh, success in Super Rugby in the last uh, decade. Um, very much uh, stacked with All Blacks and brilliant matchups across the park. Uh, I'm not sure... Either side would have wanted to be playing each other right at this (laughs) stage of the season, but that's the way the draws panned out. So it sets up a blockbuster uh, evening, Friday evening, for kicking off Super Rugby. uh, And and obviously at uh, Christchurch at Orange Theory Stadium. But, you know, plenty of, I guess, excitement around the game and the result. But, like, equally a great game to watch in terms of, as I said, those those one-on-one matchups across the board. Uh, it, It really is. Uh, a mouth-watering prospect to get this competition started. Yeah, it is. So we've got Crusaders Chiefs on the Friday night, uh, followed by the Tars and the Brumbies as well. That's also Friday night out of Allianz. I tell you, pretty excited uh, by Saturday afternoon's game at Mount Samar. Might be a good one to get along to if you're in Auckland. It's Moana Pacifica against the Fijian Drua. Those games were great last season. And I see the Drua, uh, was it Thursday night, uh, put 48 points on the Western Force in their last uh, warm-up game, uh, winning that one 48-38. Yeah, they did. 
uh, you know, they, they were uh, very impressive. So, you know, they, they showed last year that they are more than capable on their day when they get their discipline right. And when I say discipline, I don't mean in terms um, of, uh, you know, like penalty discipline or, um, you know, basically drifting uh, into, into getting constantly uh, error riddled. Uh, I mean discipline in terms of their game balance, that they get that that right between playing sevens and also having some structure in their game. When they played like that uh, and had a scrum to operate and a line-out to operate off, uh, they've got some frighteningly good players that can op open up any team in the comp. Um, you know, equally, it'll be really interesting to see how uh, Moana Pacifica go uh, in this year's competition. Obviously, they are a side, again, that has uh, had its problems, um, particularly up front. Um, I know that Aaron Major would have reviewed their season last year and said, righto, there were games that we were incredibly competitive in that we simply lost because we couldn't defend a line-out more. I, I don't know how many line-out malls they conceded last year, but whenever a team got in trouble against Moana Pacifica, they just went to the touchline and scored tries with consummate ease. So... You've got to think that's an area he has really worked hard on, um, and equally the scrum. Um, if they have shored up those two set pieces in particular, uh, again, they're a side that's capable of beating anybody. What a fascinating first-up game. I would imagine there's going to be some razzle-dazzle come Saturday <laughs> night at Mount Smart of all places um, without the Warriors um, being being the, the ones producing that razzle-dazzle, Ricardo. Yeah, mate, it's going to be interesting. I, I tell you what, looking forward to that game. And then right off the back of that, the Highlanders play the Blues uh, at Forsyth Bar Stadium and Dunners. I think we'll get a, a, a good read on where both those sides are at with this game. And, and you know, to kind of echo what I said when we were talking to Campbell about the uh, about the squads, I mean, the Highlanders look blessed in the locking department and and that could uh, could could be the difference here. Yeah, it could be, you know, the, and, and equally, you know, we did talk about the play, the players in particular that the Blues have lost uh, in that zone. Um, look, th this again is another a blockbuster game. Um, it, it, I think it's it's really remiss of me, I guess, to sort of throw this out there into the mix and say this is a must win for the Highlanders. You're usually not doing that to around, around seven, eight, but mm. I, I just fear that, you know, should they suffer some injuries in some key positions, particularly the centres, um, if they lose Umanga Jensen, um, if they if they have some problems at fullback, uh, you know, they are really starting to scrape the barrel a bit. Um, you know, loose forwards equally. Um, you, you, they're pretty good in the locks, but they really, really need to win their home games is why I throw it out there as a must win. I, I don't think that they can compete and get themselves to the semi-finals unless they make that, uh, Forsyth Bar Stadium, a fortress like they did when they went on to win the, the Super Rugby Comp, um, you know, four or five, five years ago, or whatever it was. Uh, they, they need to nail down that, that venue as being their venue where no team comes and beats them. And man, having the Blues turn up last year's finalists, stack full of talent, there's no better test for them to test that theory that we can make this a fortress and we can make sure that we win all of our home games than that one on Saturday night. Mm, yeah, looking forward to that. And then over the Tasman uh, in Townsville, the only all, uh, new Anzac matchup, uh, the Reds versus the Canes, this up in Townsville, mate. So uh, the Canes will be doing it tough in a bit of humidity and heat, you'd be thinking. Well, you would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, no doubt about the fact that it's uh, not a, a familiar environment for the Hurricanes, that's for sure. Um <laughs> So they'll be pushed out of their comfort zone. Another fascinating game. I'll tell you what, whoever did the draw, if it was random, 
um, picked a bit of genius, to be perfectly honest, because, you know, the Reds, again, they, they were a side that just showed so much promise last year, but when it came down to the crunch in games that they had to win, they just showed a bit of vulnerability, a bit of lack of experience. But a lot of those players would have grown and learnt uh, from from those experiences last year. They've pretty much retained the nucleus of their team. Uh, so they're, they're very much a side that could really um, possibly uh, be the, the, one of the Australian sides that get all the way to the semis. Um, they need a few things to fall into place for them. Uh, and equally, uh, the Canes, you know, missing some players that were instrumental for them last year. Um, but, you know, I'm just really interested to see the type of game that Jason Holland's going to have this team play. You know, are they going to... Uh, try and play around some of their strengths, which is the likes of Adi Savia uh, and their back three, um, and then sort of micromanage some of the other areas, or are they just going to go conservative and try and play territory? Um, I'm fascinated to see how they come out against the Reds in a pretty hot environment. Yeah, it will be. Uh, and then finally, uh, I think it's midnight, Saturday night, sort of uh, Sunday morning, uh, the Force versus the Rebels. Is it too early to say that that's the wooden spoon match? <laughs> um <laughs> No, no, probably not. Uh, yeah, look, I think these these two sides, uh, they're very difficult um, prospects at home because they do tend to have a really fluctuating perf- uh, performance radar throughout the calendar year. Uh, you know, the, the Perth is never every easy place to go and win. They always show some ticket down there. They've got a great crowd and great support. It's not an easy place to get to. Um, you know, so... Oh, like I really feel that, that this game here was very much a gauge on to see whether or not these both these sides have got any depth. You know, I'll, I'll put my hands up and be quite honest. I, I haven't looked too closely at uh, particularly these two sides at the moment and simply because of what you said. You know, are they going to be wooden spooners and, you know, do we need to look into it too much with the greatest of respect? <laughs> <laughs> Nicely put. You should be a diplomat, Marshy. You should be a diplomat. <laughs> you might have to be uh, with our next <laughs> guest, whoever that may be, coming out to us out of Australia. Maybe I should. Maybe we should open with that question for our next guest out of Australia. Who Marshy still won't tell me who it is, but it, it's somebody out of Australia to talk Australian rugby and their side of the Super Rugby. Uh, we'll get into that after this on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. It's two twenty-seven. We're twenty-eight away from three here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Ball, Justin Nelson, Justin Nelson. I've done it again. Sorry, Marshy. Justin Marshall with you. That's twice now. That is twice. Once What's is... going on? I've been I... called worse. That's twice. <laughs> Who is Justin Nelson? Justin Nelson works for Sky. He's the basketball commentator. And I do a I do a basketball show with him. That's oh, why. Yes. That's why. It's that automatic yeah, yeah. muscle memory thing. Uh, that's right. I'll call him Justin Marshall next show. Don't worry. It's a, it'll, it'll happen. It'll happen. I guarantee it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, apologies again, my friend. Uh, now, we should talk uh, about the All Blacks as well, ahead of uh, Rugby World Cup 2023. We've talked about uh, some of the ones that are are going to be leaving our shores, mate. I see Rico Iwani, uh dismissing rumours that he's off as well, uh, which 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 is good uh, because they need to hold on hold on to a few. Uh, but in terms of um, what is on the line uh, this season uh, leading into a Rugby World Cup, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's lots of talk about how how many uh, games these All Blacks will have to miss for their Super Rugby sides, which is always disappointing for the fans. Um, but where do you think uh, that Ian Foster and crew are really going to be looking at the Super Rugby season? Well, well first of all, I can shed some light on that. Uh, you know, it's not um, anywhere near as I, I, uh, bad as what um, people are portraying or what the media have been saying. Um they only have to have a rest after five games on the bounce 
Right. And it's only a one-game rest. So uh, that's that's pretty good, really, when you think about it, you know. Um, it's not um, putting them out for massive periods of time. Um, it just means they've had a big volume of five games in a row that they have to have a weekend off. So I think that's that's quite sensible, and I think that's been quite... I, I guess, considerate and lenient by Ian Foster and his coaching staff. So in a World Cup year, um, I certainly feel that they've found some common ground there, which is which is good. And I certainly feel the Super Rugby teams can all um, macro-manage that situation. Uh, look, there's, there's no doubt that there's um, going to be some competition for places. I, I think Ian Foster, um, as much as the rest of the public and, and anybody watching the game are aware, is that wasn't the greatest season the All Blacks have ever had. Uh, and... You know, the end of year tour was again fraught with uh, some indifferent performances um, and because of that, pressure comes on. And I certainly feel that there are a number of players coming back into the mix that will be in the headlights of the All Black selectors. You think of um, the loose forwards, Ethan Blackadder mm. um, will, will probably come back into the into the reckoning. How can he play? Can he recapture that form that made him an All Black? Where does Cullen Grace sit in the mix? Do we have that second number eight after... The, the Sawa Kula um, is moving on, and, and um, Hoskins Satutu's uh, the other number eight established. Um, Josh Lord comes back into the mix. Jack Goodhue is there. Damien McKenzie is fully back into New Zealand rugby. Uh, who's going to play first? You know, the, the, the battle between uh, Moonga and Bowden Barrett, who will both be playing 10 for their respective franchises. Uh, and, and who... Um, basically grabs those centre jerseys, Ricardo. That, that is fascinating as well. It is. Uh, actually, I'll ask you this, because uh, Damien McKenzie, obviously, is a 15 who can play 10. That's how it is. And Stephen Petafeta is very much the same. And Stephen Petafeta took that Damien McKenzie role last season, right? Um, I look, I watched a bit of NPC yeah. last season. It seemed to me when Stephen Petafeta was allowed to play for Taranaki, he shifted the needle. Damien McKenzie playing for Waikato didn't do that. Um, so, I mean, if, if I'm Ian Foster at the moment, I'm yeah. still thinking... I, Peter Fett is my third first five. He's he's in the squad. Yeah, it's, it's a, again, it's another good valid point. Uh, it, look, I, I certainly feel that what Ian Foster and his selectors need to get to is they need they need to find common ground uh, on on what their fullback looks like. Mm. Now, uh, I don't mean um, in, in terms of uh, the, the the type of player that they are. It's the type of balance that they want to get for their backline. Now they they reverted back to putting Bowden Barrett back there come um, sort of middle of the year onwards, and and felt that that was the right mix. Um, but obviously, when he plays a whole super season at ten, they've only got five games before the Rugby World Cup. Uh, you know, is it the fact that one Moanga and Barrett has to um, start off the bench, uh, and we select? a fullback in the position that that fullback has been playing for the entire Super Rugby season because he is a fullback. And if that's Peter Fetter and he plays the whole season at fullback for the Blues and plays outstandingly, he has to come into the mix as contention for an all-black 15, not an all-black 10, uh, 15 that can play 10. He's a 15. Equally, McKenzie, if he plays there the whole season and Will Jordan plays the whole season, hopefully he gets himself right at fullback and they play outstandingly. Why are they then not in contention to play fullback? They're in contention to play a reserve first five role or play on the wing. You know, that, that that's really something I think the selectors have to get their head around that. We're very blessed. We've got two outstanding world-class first fives 
who are first fives, not fullbacks. And I just wonder whether or not we finally get to the point where we actually pick a fullback and we can have the firepower of an Israel Dag, a Christian Cullen that plays fullback all the time, coming into our backline and cutting teams apart rather than compromising our backline. That's yeah. where I'm at. Yep, yeah, I 100% agree with that, mate. Um, and on, on the midfield, you talked about the midfield combo. I mean, probably at the end of last season, uh, our number one midfield combos, Geordie Barrett and Rico Uwani. Uh, but, you know, uh, there's a few players uh, that, are, that are back now that are, that are fully fit. Uh, we're not sure about Quintu Pye, but we know Anton Leonard-Brown. I, I don't think, uh, as I, I mentioned, I thought Alex Nankerville had a great season last season. Whether they'll look at him because he's off to Ireland, I don't know. Uh, Thomas Umanga Jensen was good, although he had injury problems. Uh, then you've got good Hugh and Enor and Havili uh, at the Crusaders as well. There's a, there's a few problems uh, few, few problems for the selectors. Good problems to have, though. Yeah, they are good. Pro- they are good problems to have. Uh, wasn't it interesting? There was a few rumours, and I don't know how true they were. We probably all heard them floating around last year as well about Levi uh, Olmoa, mm. um, that he was getting some pretty lucrative uh, opportunities to go overseas, but the, that he'd been shoulder tapped to just stay around in New Zealand. Um, whether or not that they were actually true or not, so uh, you know, you, you, you throw Thomas Umanga Jensen into the mix as well. You know, like. It's where the All Blacks want to go with that position. When they go with Geordie Barrett, they've got a skillful player that can pass, distribute, and kick, but he can run hard. He's not he's not a lateral player. Um, very very much like uh, Thomas Umaga Jensen. Um, you know, Quinta Pia was making a good fist of that jersey because he is that type of direct, um, hard carrying player. Um, so, yeah, there's plenty that come into the mix there. If you go Anton Leonard Brown or David Harvili. You go more for a like likes, like uh, they are very similar to centre and and the twelve because they are more lateral ball type players than robust. So again, it's another equation the All Blacks have to think about of who fits the right category for the team dynamic to show the rest of the world that it's got a backline with threats across the park that's physical, skilled, uh, and, and that, that they can um, they can offer you plenty of threat across the board from, from 9 to 15. Yeah, yeah, lots to talk about, lots to think about between now and the Rugby World Cup. It is 20 away from 3. Hopefully, when we come back, our Aussie correspondent will be with us after this. At 16 away from 3 o'clock here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run, Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall with us uh, as well. And Marshall, you're still waiting on, uh, on, on your, your, Australian, uh, your Australian correspondent, mate. Has it been held up at passport control? What's going on? Oh, we always hold Australians up at passport control, don't we? It's, it's just a common thing to do when you see them walking in in their canary yellow. You don't want them coming through with any ease whatsoever. <laughs> no, I remember there's an English comedian, Alexi Sale, who did a whole bit about uh, coming through uh, customs in Australia and they asked him if he had a criminal record and he said, I didn't know you still needed one. <laughs> Brilliant. That's so good. (laughs) Speaking of uh, uh, men that have moved from England uh, to Australia, what about Eddie Jones, mate? What did you make of of that shift? Um, It's an interesting one for me. I I thought that uh, pulling the the trigger on Dave Rennie was probably a bit harsh about when they did it, given all the injuries and everything else he's had to put up with. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think probably a successful end of year tour. Uh, for Dave Rennie and Australia would have been conducive to him keeping his job to a degree. I had heard earlier in the year last year that uh, Eddie Jones, after the World Cup, was going to be 
uh, aligning himself back with Australia uh, in what role um, that, that wasn't determined at that stage, but it was kind of looking like a, a kind of director of rugby role um, to sort of oversee uh, the, the, the whole setup um, and, and possibly have him put into, into the national side. But uh, with what happened in England, it looked, just looks to me like everything was fast-tracked and, like I said, off the back of some pretty average results for Dave Rennie and that Australian side on the end of year tour. They put, I don't think they pushed the panic button. I just think that they catapulted the situation forward faster than when they had expected it to, to happen. And it's not a Band-Aid appointment either, is it? I mean, he's there through to 2027. It's not just for this World Cup. No, no, no. Eddie doesn't tend to enter into any situation without making sure he's got good security. <laughs> so he's managed to achieve that. Um, Look, I, I think probably what he'll be very grateful for will be the fact that Dave Rennie's he's really managed to galvanise himself a really good group of players uh, and, and some talent. Uh, he just hasn't found the right recipe to get them playing well consistently. So I'd be very surprised if Eddie Jones goes too far outside of that nucleus of players that Dave Rennie was picking. It's just whether or not he can get them playing more consistently and equally, when they're playing consistently, um, perform against the top teams in the world and, and start regularly beating them. Can Eddie uh, generate that amount of uh, quality performance out of these players? That's the question. I mean, you know, Dave Rennie has copped a bit of stick from the Aussie media about being a bit bit boring and a bit, a bit quiet and a bit staid. Uh, Eddie Jones is anything but that. Do you think, yeah. do you think it is just some personality that, that that's going to change things? Because, I mean, Renz is a very good tactical coach. He is a very good tactical coach. Um, yeah, look, I, I know I've been coached by Eddie and I know what he brings to the table. Um, I certainly feel that any form of complacency that was within that Wallabies camp will very quickly dissipate because uh, he, he makes players very accountable. Whether they are 100 test veterans or playing their second test, he will he will very much create an environment um, under pressure that makes the players work hard and perform. And when they don't, he lets them know and he lets you know. So I don't think there'll be any uh, cruise mode whatsoever. I think they've got him to come in with his very, very big stick uh, and, start, and start waving it around. Um, so basically... You know, it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. And I think Super Rugby is going to be a um, is going to be a big catalyst for that, Ricardo. And we talked about the Aussie teams. Like, to be honest, they've been quite they've been quite uh, hard to watch recently uh, in Super Rugby. Do you realistically think any of them are capable at all of winning this title this year? Winning the title? No, I don't think so. I think. Once again, we will see the Brumbies um, probably be a semi-finalist, but I don't know that we will get anybody else uh, uh, to that point in the competition. And joining us now, I tell you what, Marshy just got a whole lot better looking. Uh, Tim Oren's just uh, jumped into the to the screen. G'day, mate. How are you? G'day, guys. I just thought I'd come and give you a bit of that sort of Aussie flavour to the show. I know you sort of you know we call in sometimes, but Marshy invited me into his home to try a little home brew, so I thought I'd just jump on for five minutes and give you a bit of an update on the Aussie teams. Well, give us an update first. How's the home brew? 
<laughs> little IPA. Yeah, it was. Um, Marshy said it was about four point five percent, but I um, I think it was about eight point six percent. So uh, no, very nice. <laughs> excellent, mate. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, no doubt you've you've been out golfing um, uh, and and enjoying uh, all that uh, has to offer it at Marshall Towers. Uh, but what what are you expecting from the the coming Super Rugby season? Uh, Am I close to being on the money with uh, saying that the Brumbies are the only Aussie team to probably bother the semi-finals? Oh, I think the Waratahs. I've seen you know the Waratahs in trials, and you know trial games is hard to work out. But you know, second year for obviously for um, the coach um, Darren Coleman and what he's brought, and a lot of these younger players who have come through that first year. Mark Normally to Wasse, of course, the, the winger, how he went in his first year, and that second year is always difficult, but. Um, Brad Thorne and the Queensland Reds, good side. I've got all these players that have been there now for a period of time. So oh, I think they're going to be hard to beat. Um, but then, of course, when you look at the Brumbies, uh, Stephen Larkham, of course, back into coaching. He's had that time away now overseas over in, in Ireland. And I think he's got that opportunity now to bring this side through with Laurie Fisher, the assistant coach. Do you reckon there'll be a change in style from the Brumbies with Larkham back? I think there will. I think when Stephen Larkin first did the Brumbies, I think he was like run at all costs the way he played because one, he, he couldn't kick as a fly half, so he was forced <laughs> to sort of run all the time and that's the way he coached the Brumbies uh, early. And I think now when you go to Europe as a coach, you know, you've got to use kicking as a bit more of a tactical opportunity. So I think he'll blend it a little bit. Um, you know, as long as he, he's got a good back row, he's got a, a, a back line that can really get across the advantage line. So they'll be hard to beat. But I think, I mean, for us on Stan Sport and Channel 9, when we commentate, I think it's about 60% of our audience is from New South Wales. So we need the Waratahs to be successful for, I suppose, the whole um, Super Rugby in Australia to be successful. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and traditionally, the Waratahs have been, you know, that team. They've been the strongest Australian team for, for a long time. Uh, and then it kind of fell off a cliff a couple of years ago and, and, and struggled to get it back. Uh, what about... I said to Marshy with my tongue firmly in cheek when we were previewing round one, uh, Force Rebels, this is the wooden spoon game. Um, Force feel like they've probably made some decent additions, but the Rebels, it seems like a bit of a disaster of an experiment that's just rolling on. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, Nick Stiles is now, has been the general manager of the Rebels for last year and and he, you know, was trying to work out who was going to get selection-wise and, and get bring some new players in. And um, once he gets his fingerprints over this side, which should be, might not be this year, but next year is when the Rebels need to do something because, you know, he's gone heavily for Samu Karevi. They get on very well. So you get someone like a Samu Karevi, you get a couple of the players around him, um, and it's a side that could do something. But, yeah, both those sides, they will scare a few teams They'll, at home, say at the Rebels or in Perth. Um, but, yeah, you'd think they'd probably be in the bottom half of, of the competition. But uh, the Western Force, they've got some newer players. But the hard thing is, and I think for the Australian teams, you need to probably recruit one or two Kiwis or someone from South Africa as a marquee player to try and build a team around. Well, Chase Tietzi is that player, isn't he, for the Force? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, he's a, a wonderful player. So they're the sort of types of players that we need to get in. And it's hard because... You know, we've only got five teams, and we if you were trying to get a fly half, that's probably not right because we need fly halves for the Wallabies. But in a position where there's two, so whether it's wingers or second rowers or back row, I think it's a good option. Yeah, I mean, you at the moment it feels like you're blessed with tens, doesn't it? You've got lots of potential tens anyway. 
That's that's the word potential tens. Um, I don't think we've. I mean, Noel Olusio. I think he should be the number ten for the Wallabies for the World Cup. It'll depend on whether Quade Cooper comes back. Uh, what does Eddie Jones think? New Wallaby coach where Dave Rennie loved Quade Cooper. Um, does does Eddie Jones like Quade Cooper? You know, or does he want to go with the younger Noel Olusio for the next five years? Yeah, and then there was. Uh... What was his name? Edmed and, and Donaldson dueling it out at, at the Tars as well. I mean, ideally, if you're Australian rugby, you want one of them playing somewhere else so they can both get as many minutes starting in the 10 jersey as possible. Well, they've got two other fly halves there as well. They've got Will Harrison as well. Uh, he can play 15 and also at, at 10. And they've got, a, they've got a guy called Jack Bowen. Jack Bowen, he's 19 years of age. He's um, Scott Bowen, who played for the Wallabies fly half for a few years back in the mid late 90s his son, and he's something special. He's only small, but he's a very good player. So he got four fly halves, and if we had a central sort of contracting system, two of those players, one should be the Western Force, one should be the Rebels, and give them time. Yeah, 100%, 100%. All right, Tim. Listen, thanks for sitting in, mate, uh, and, and, and and making my screen look a whole lot better. I uh, really appreciated it. Uh, go well, mate. Enjoy your golf, enjoy that IPA, and uh, enjoy your time in New Zealand, eh? Good stuff. No worries. Thanks for the invite. Oh, any time, mate. Any time. You're welcome. Uh, at at Marshall Towers. Um, uh, well done, Marshall. You kept that quiet. Slipped it in. Oh, I hope you were going to put your foot in your mouth, actually, Ricardo. But you're actually quite good when you slipped into the seat. Um, by the way, it came out at eight point two percent that IPA. So I was really trying to set him up. <laughs> oh, gee, I'll, I'll I'll flick you a text with my uh, with with my address, mate. You can ship me a kick. You ship me a kick. That'll be great. That'll be great. And it's five away from Honest three, way, Ricardo. <laughs> awesome. Five away from three here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. And that's us uh, for the first week, Marshy. I thought I thought I thought I had to throw to another break, but I don't. That's us. That's us. We're done. It's just actually uh, breezed on by, hasn't it, Ricardo? But I think, like what I said when we first started chatting um, at one o'clock, this is an exciting year. Mm. It really is um, for New Zealand rugby, but for rugby in general. Um, and there's plenty to talk about and debate. It's going to be uh, really, really. Uh, interesting uh, super rugby campaign leading into a World Cup. Awesome. Looking forward to it, mate. Looking forward to it. Many more of these to come. The Bunnings Trade Rugby Run every Sunday right here on SENZ from 1-3. Ricardo Paul and Justin Marshall will be bringing it to you.